Hello, I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And uh, in this short series, we are studying this most important subject of the divine institutions. God has all authority, and he governs this world through delegated authorities. As, and he shares his authority with man. He delegates it to man. And he does it through the seven divine institutions, each of which are different realms of authority. And in order to understand and for it to go well with us in life, we need to discern the authorities that God has placed through the different divine institutions. And we need to be on guard against the spirit of lawlessness. That's the spirit in the world that ultimately comes from Satan, who, who himself is lawless, uh, and lawlessness is not just disobeying God, but actually the, the very rejection of God's authority. Another word is, is rebellion. And so there is a spirit of lawlessness in the world that Jesus predicted would increase in the end times and come to its fullness actually in the Antichrist. And that involves a rejection of authority itself. It sees authority as the problem, when actually the problem in this world all comes from sin in the human heart, in every, every human heart. Uh, and so the divine institutions are the different areas of authority. It really helps to understand what they are. Last time, and so that we relate correctly to these divine institutions, and we uphold them uh, and honor them. And that's a major key to our success. Last time, um, we, we saw Romans 13 that, that states that really the key principle here. Um, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And this is saying there are different realms of authority. And to be submitted to God, you have to be submitted to these delegated authorities. There's seven of them, seven realms, given in the Word of God. And uh, last time we saw the first one, which was free will. God made us in his image, which means God is sovereign, so he has entrusted each one of us with a degree of sovereignty or, or authority over our own life, over our environment. He's, he gave us dominion over, over the earth, and so we have that authority over our own life, and God respects that. We call it free will. God respects our free will, but he will hold us accountable to our freedom of will. The other authority, divine institutions, are meant to be built, if you like, on the foundation of that free will. That's, that's the key one. That's the foundational one. The other uh, divine institutions, when they're working properly, are there to protect freedom and free will and, and create uh, an atmosphere of order and peace so that we can um, have that freedom to, uh, to live our lives. Well, the second uh, divine institution that was introduced by God is work. Uh, and of course, there's authority in the workplace, uh, employers, employees, that um, they talk about servants and masters uh, as well. And so these authorities are uh, in the workplace as well. That's, now, work is something that was introduced even before the fall. All right. 
the first four divine institutions were introduced before man sinned in the fall. In Genesis 2.15, God put Adam to work in the garden. He said, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And so Adam, you see, he was actually given a job to, to actually rule over the earth uh, and starting with the Garden of Eden to, to manage it and to take care of it and to guard it. And he was to do it under God's authority, in submission to God's authority. And, and there are um, many scriptures, for instance, uh, Ephesians 6, 5 says, in bond servants or employees, be obedient to those who are your masters, those who are over you, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, as unto Christ, not with eye service as men's pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord, not unto men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he save or slave a slave or free. In other words, what he's saying is you've got to realize that your boss at work or whoever's over you at work, their authority, because it's a divine institution, they are actually, their authority ultimately derives from God. And when you submit to them and you, you relate correctly to them, you are relating correctly to God. You can't be, uh, you know, against them without actually being against God, because they are carrying God's authority. That's what he's saying. So he says, do it as unto Christ. You're, you're really submitting to God. You're really submitting to Christ. We see the same in Colossians 3, 22 to 24, and 1 Timothy 6, 1, uh, and also 1 Peter 2, 18 to 20. Uh, and, and in these passages, it's actually saying, even when you're not treated right, you know, and it doesn't say that you shouldn't, you know, make your point, but it's saying you should actually understand that you should still be submissive to that authority. Uh, and uh, this is where people can struggle, because um, we need to understand that... Authorities can be imperfect, but we're still meant to see and submit to that authority. Okay, um, and so that's the second divine institution, and uh, the third divine institution is marriage, and that's in Genesis chapter two as well. But let's look at um, Genesis one twenty-seven. It says God created man in His own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So here is something else that God instituted the sexes. He defines the sexes and gender uh, by, by his creation. And then, of course, in Genesis 2, he, he creates marriage. Uh, the Lord God said, it is not good that a, ma that a man should be alone. Uh, I will make him a helper comparable to him. And so, in other words, um, he creates Eve, who's a perfect fit for Adam, a perfect complementing Adam, to help him in his assignment, in his work, and to complete him uh, so that he's not alone. He's, there's a loneliness uh, uh, that she feels. She, she completes him. She becomes the soulmate. And, of course, they become one flesh, 
and they together they have the ability to to have children and so they there's like on three levels spiritually she joins with him in his vision in life in his calling to help fulfill it um, she is the answer to his loneliness um, which uh, she by completing him as a soulmate and of course physically together they become one and have children and so uh, God, if I go down now to um, uh, verse 22, verse 23, Adam said, This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is God saying, wow, how amazing is this? And, and he, he's receiving her as his wife. Therefore, it says, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they will become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And, and Jesus refers to this institution of marriage. This is a God thing. Marriage is a God thing. In Matthew 19, 4, he says, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? It's God who, who defines the sexes. It's God who defines marriage. And he said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Uh, so they are no longer two but one flesh therefore what God has joined together let not man separate so the original marriage of Adam and Eve is the template for marriage and and there is an authority in marriage uh, you know the Bible says <coughs> that the husband is, is the head of the wife and uh, that doesn't mean that all men are over all women but it does mean that within marriage there is an authority and this is confirmed by the New Testament in 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 11. It talks about how Adam was made first. Adam even named Eve. And so clearly he, he was in authority, but, not, but they were very much partners, very much alongside each other. And when it talks about the, the husband being the head of the wife, it means two things. The head is the source. He's meant to be the source of love and provision to his wife but also he he has authority he has the first authority in that relationship and uh, it is in the realm of marriage that sexual relations are to be experienced because it it talks about them becoming one flesh in the context of marriage and so that's where sexual relationships belong you see all of these things are defined by the divine institution that god brought in and, um, and so they, they complete each other for procreation, for dominion together in their work, and for their happiness together. Uh, and so there's a sense in which a man and a woman are incomplete by themselves. God's image is only fully expressed by male and female together in unity. And so uh, lawlessness attacks the institution of marriage and the authority within marriage and of course it always w gets its leverage when authorities act sin sinfully and uses that basis uh, for rejecting the authority altogether so for example in history it's true there's been a sinful inequality, inequality injustice against women because the male authority has, has often been abusive and that absolutely needs to be corrected and, and put right. But the danger is of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. 
uh, and therefore, which tends to happen, and then what happens is people reject, society rejects any difference between men and women, especially in their roles within marriage, and that's a mistake because God has not changed his divine institution in marriage. And so authority, there is authority within marriage. To reject that is lawlessness, uh, worldliness. Now, a man has that authority, whether he wants it or not, uh, and that makes him, you might think, well, that's not fair, he's got the authority. But actually, having authority makes you responsible and accountable to God uh, and the authority is always judged more strictly by God than than those under that authority. So you you so it's not necessarily an easy thing to be in authority. For instance, in James one, it says that uh, we should not quickly want to become teachers, which is a place of authority, spiritual authority, because there will be a stricter judgment for those. So so before you desire to be an authority, just bear that in mind. So, but if you are in authority, for instance, you're, you're, you're a husband, then don't be ashamed of that authority because it's a God-given thing. And I believe a real woman likes a strong, confident man who ca can carry that authority as long as he's loving also, as long as he uses that authority to create an atmosphere of love and peace and blessing. And so she doesn't want a wimp. She wants a loving leader. Well, I have to read Ephesians chapter 5, don't I? Wives, submit to your own husbands. That's New Testament. All right? As to the Lord, what does that mean? See that the, your husband's authority. He may not be perfect, but his authority comes from the Lord. When you submit to him, you're submitting to the Lord. If you're rebelling against his authority, you're rebelling against the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church and the saviour of the body. That's the love aspect. He, he has authority, but he's also to be the saviour, the provider. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. He uses his authority to bless, that he might sanctify and, and cleanse her with the washing of water with the word, that he might present to her her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be holy and without blemish and so if a woman is 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 under good authority of her husband she will be blessed she'll be glorious he will do what he can that her potential be fulfilled if it's an abusive authority then she will be suffering and be oppressed so husbands it says ought to love their own wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself. Uh, Colossians 3.18 also, wives submit to your own husbands as it is fitting in the Lord, husbands love your wives. And 1 Peter 3, wives be submissive to your own husbands, uh, and so forth. So, uh, authority is invested within marriage, uh, whereas lawlessness attacks uh, marriage as God ordained it. The fourth area of, div of divine institution is the family. And that here we're talking about parents now have children, and now the family becomes the basic unit of society, and that's how it is in the Bible. And families exist for the care and the training of the next generation. Um, 
schools, for, by the way, schools are not divine institutions um, uh, as defined by the Bible because it's parents that are responsible for their child's education. Parents need to impart the knowledge of God to their children. They need to not just say, well, we'll just put them in the hands of the school. Parents are responsible to teach their children, especially in the ways of God, especially their moral values and their faith and their love for God. Uh, the family, the parents, have the final responsibility there. Now, schools actually are, are perfectly valid, of course. Uh, but I, when I was a teacher, I was taught, because this is a Christian, this is a biblical idea, that schools are in locus parentis. That means teachers and schools function in the place of parents. In other words, parents are delegating a certain amount of their um, the, the work of educating their children to the schools. But the schools are working in the place of parents, technically under the parental authority. And so parents need to understand they have authority as far as their children are concerned. And when the state takes too much power and controls the education, um, then that, that is wrong. It's, it's up to the parents. You know, when I was, um, when I was uh, doing teacher training, from, uh, I was aware of the spirit of lawlessness, even in, this, even in, in that university training that I was receiving because the first term instead of teaching me how to how to which is what I really needed how to manage a classroom I was we were filled with liberal philosophy and how it was wrong to exercise authority over children and how that's liable to uh, and the humanistic philosophy denies well the Bible says that we're all born in sin but humanistic philosophy says that rubbish we all children are basically good. They're just like plants. So uh, we need to just let them express themselves freely. Don't tell them what to do because that authority will damage them. And so it, it actually makes you feel unrighteous exercising any kind of authority. It undermines the authority that God gave parents and teachers. And so uh, this humanistic teaching actually is from lawlessness. It's it's undermines authority, and it's a denial of the sin nature. The lawless view says that authority is the problem. Uh, if we just remove the authority, everything would be fine. But the fact is, uh, you know, we are all born in sin, and actually, children need the restraint of authority until they learn to master their flesh, their sin nature, at least in a basic way. They need that authority to grow up. If you just let them do whatever they want, their sin nature will thrive and you will spoil them. And uh, they will end up disrespecting their parents, disrespecting teachers. And that's why schools experience such lawlessness in the classroom. I mean, if somebody who went to school in the 50s or even in the 60s went to many of our classrooms today, they would be shocked. And um, they were at the, at the chaos and the teacher's lack of authority. Why has that happened? Because the spirit of lawlessness has, has come into the whole uh, education system. When you take the restraint away, the authority away, lawlessness thrives. And as a result, everyone loses their freedom. You, you can't learn much in school because it's a lawless environment. It's chaos. 
And so freedom is lost when everyone just does their own thing. And so right authority creates an atmosphere of order, of peace, of unity. It protects freedom and, and expression. Um, but uh, that is why many classrooms are struggling because it's now this lawlessness is even in the culture. Children are, are encouraged to disrespect authority. And, uh, and this liberal approach is presented as loving. This is how you love the children, just let them do what they want. But it's not loving them, it's hating them because you're spoiling them. You're allowing them to get corrupted by lawlessness. They're not learning how to honour and respect authority. And so abusive authority should be dealt with, yes, absolutely, but not by destroying the authority itself. Um, we just need to teach authorities, parents, teachers, whatever, how to express authority correctly in a loving way, but do not undermine that authority. And so we need to know that parents are responsible to, to teach their children. Parents do not abrogate that responsibility. I love what God says about Abraham. Abraham surely will become a great and mighty nation, it says. All the nations of the earth will be blessed in him, for I've known him in order. Uh, and he says, that this is the reason why I've chosen him, that he, that he will command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness. Abraham was someone who used his authority as the head of the family to, to command his family in the way of the Lord. And that's what God wants you to do with your children. The problem today we have is that the state overreaches its authority, especially in the case of the family. And we see these cases in, of hospitals now, refusing parents to, to be able to take their children out and be treated elsewhere. The state comes in and, and, and says, no, this is abuse of authority, where the state overrides the family authority. The state does have a right to step in, but only when the family is acting in a criminal way. That's the authority of the state. And so um, it says about the family that, uh, that again, in Genesis 2.24, the father, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. So that talks about a man being under the authority of his parents until it's time for him to leave the house. Uh, and so if you are un still in your parents' house, even if you've grown up, you still have, you're under a degree of authority there because you're living in their house. Ephesians 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And again, he's saying to children, understand that the, your, your parents' authority derives from the Lord. So you're not just submitting to your parents, you're submitting to the Lord. For this is right. This is righteous. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. That's a divine institution of the family. Honour your father and mother, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, use your authority right. Do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't expect them to act like adults when they're only children. But bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so... Parents, you have authority. You have a God-given authority. Don't be ashamed of that authority. Don't be suckered in by the spirit of the world that makes you feel like you're being unreasonable and oppressive if you exercise authority, if you exercise some form of discipline. Um, you know, I will say this, just uh, as, as we close this out, that 
all authorities ought to sanctify God. They ought to make it clear, and this is parents should do this, make it clear that you are accountable to a higher authority. You're ac accountable to God. You are not claiming that you have absolute power and absolute authority. Only God has that. And if you do start acting like that, your authority will become abusive. Sanctify God as the final authority. Don't be non-uncorrectable. Uh, don't be abusive with your authority. Your authority doesn't give you the right to do what you want. God's going to hold you into judgment. Don't be ashamed of your authority. But also, if you misrepresent God, if you treat your children wrongly, say, or unfairly, don't be ashamed to apologize. Because what you're telling them is that you are under a higher authority. Uh, I meant, you know, say, I meant to, I'm meant to represent God to you and I failed. Uh, I'm under God. Let them know that you're under God's authority. Um, it's not intrinsic to you. Uh, and you are to represent God. If they understand that, then you will have, you will carry more authority. Because they'll begin to understand they're not just submitting to you, they're submitting to God. If they rebel against you, they are rebelling against God. That will increase your authority, but it also makes you accountable. So when you fail, you, you, you apologize, and, and that will cause greater respect. By sanctifying God, you will increase your authority in their eyes, and they will understand that God is the final source of authority. You'll be teaching them a very important lesson about authority. So we are to hold our authority in humility. And so we have uh, dealt with the first few divine institutions, free will, um, work, marriage, and family. And these are the divine institutions that came in through the fall. Next time we're going to see what's the result of the fall of man into sin and the next two divine institutions that came in as a result of that to help restrain the evil that was unleashed because of man's sin. Biblical prosperity, yes there is such a thing. Some people are afraid of prosperity and, and that. Maybe I should have called this biblical abundance, but really we, we need to understand that God does want to prosper us, not for our selfishness, but so that we can be a blessing for others. And so this is not about raising money or anything like this. This is simply understanding what the Bible has to teach us about finances and how to put God first in our finances. And so we have this book that is a, a thorough textbook on this subject. And we also have two CD series that cover this material, eight CDs each. Let me encourage you that you don't be afraid of this subject. Thank you for watching. Join with us at Oxford Bible Church every Sunday at 11am Greenwich Mean Time for our live stream service. Or join us at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX37QH. You can watch more of our teachings on our Roku channel and Derek Walker's YouTube channel. All Derek Walker's books are available in printed and Kindle versions in all Amazons worldwide or online with other great products, where you can also support our programs at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.